We'll be in Ephesians this morning. If you brought a Bible, Ephesians chapter six, we've been talking about missionaries and we have a visitor class today, uh, Mr. Kenneth Johnson. I'm glad he's here. Get to meet him. He's over to my right over here. He's visiting this morning, was interested in the Bible class. So good to have you, Kenneth, in our class. And uh, we've been studying missions, missionaries. Why does a church send missions? Uh, what are missions? Uh, what's some of the benefits of supporting missions? What's some of the complications of being a missionary? Uh, at best, we hopefully through the lessons will become missionary minded because it fits with the great commission when God said in Matthew 28 to go ye therefore in all the world preaching the gospel and teaching them so on and so forth. And we've read the verse a number of times. And this morning as we move through the series on, on missions, uh, I want to talk about the enemies of missions. You may, uh, we've talked about a lot of the positive things and the plus things and uh, from everything to culture shock to changing money from United States currency to uh, pesos or if you're in the Middle East and Korea, yuan or any other of the rubles, wherever you're at, you need to operate in that country under their economic system. So we talked about those things. Uh, we talked about learning the language. We even talked about last week the culture shock that people experience when they go into, most of the time, another third world country, nonetheless, at least another country. And uh, then we talked about reverse culture shock when they come home out of another country to America and a lot of the missionaries it's struggled to adjust back to this culture uh, on a moral issue <laughs> on um, every level <laughs> if you know what I'm saying from TV commercials amen to what folks wear the ball game and they're oh my goodness when did they start doing and they suffer reverse culture shock. So we talked about that. But today in Ephesians chapter six, we're going to look at a couple passages and you're right there. Get ready to go to Philippians chapter three, because we'll, we'll use these two passages <clears throat> kind of to build our format. And I want to say three things today by way of outline. Obviously you understand if you've heard me anytime at all, I may give you a literary outline, but <laughs> You'll have to help me put the meat on the, on the skeleton. <laughs> I want to say realizing the opposition, number one. Number two, I want to talk about resisting the opposition. And then number three, if we can get that far, refocusing because of the opposition. So you do have an outline with this lesson. But now in Ephesians 6, verse 12, a very familiar passage to save folks in the church. Uh, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, we've taught that verse many times, and I believe we have a pretty good handle on it as just across the line, Christian folks. We realize that our issues are not always just the IRS, the tax man, uh, the surveyor, uh, you know what I'm saying, the licensed branch that can't find your title. Sometimes our problems are spiritual problems. Our warfare is, we get that. We're Ephesians chapter 6 literate, especially verse 12. Now, while you're looking at that, you're there in Philippians chapter 3, just turn on over to verse 17 and verse 19 and let me tie Ephesians 6, 12 and Philippians 3, 17 and 19 together because they're written by the same author, the Apostle Paul. And he says, brethren, so he's talking to the Philippian church, those folks living in Philippi that attend the local church, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Verse 18, for many walk, and this is in parentheses. And when you notice that in your King James Bible or in the English language, and it's part of our punctuation process, it's a, it's a note that the author doesn't want you to miss. In this case, the Holy Spirit wants you to get this parenthesis. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. That's, that's an emotional state that one might find themselves in through undue sorrow or sadness that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's strong words right there. Uh, verse 19 com will complete the parenthesis, the note, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. <laughs> Me and Nick got it. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Well, that's quite a note, quite a sidebar. Say, what's he talking about? Well, basically, he's talking about those that are in opposition to this book, to true salvation, and telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, the real battle doesn't come from religion per se. It comes from the demonic forces of hell. Hey. <laughs> say, oh, I don't like to think about that. Yeah, I understand. So missions which is true evangelism. The word uh, mission, missionary, doesn't show up in the King James or any translation. Well, I shouldn't say that. I haven't read all. How many did Sam, Dr. Sam say there were? Six, seven, eight hundred now? I, I'm back in the old days when there were only 300 and something thousand. I, I mean, three, 300 different copies. Yeah. yeah, I'm really off here. Anyway... The word missions, which is true evangelism. Evangelism is going out, uh, telling others. In other words, true missions has enemies. 
And Philippians chapter 3, you're right there in it. I've got a couple other verses that we might like to notice. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, as we study this, he says, and he's always warning Paul the apostle who was over all these churches and went from church to church, kind of like an evangelist, checking on the churches and the works and helping them in their struggles. And they didn't have a completed Bible like we do today. But watch, he says, finally, my brethren, he's always so sensitive to those men. He's not falling out with them because they comb their hair on the right and Puts it over to, you know, he's not worried about he wore a camel uh, skin vest and the other one wore linen. He's not worried about any of that. Watch. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write unto, to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. So he is rep, repetitive in this doctrinal point, watch what he says. And he says here, beware of dogs. Say, oh my goodness, you mean he doesn't like German shepherds or chihuahuas? Or No, he's not talking about that kind of dog. He's talking about the other kind of dog that is talked about. And the dog returneth to its vomit men that are in their sins as the sow returns to her waller, wallow. Now you know I'm a hillbilly waller. Live up the holler where the waller is. Yeah, all right. He says, beware of dogs. And he's not talking about your pet. He says here, beware of evil workers. Dogs fit in the context of evil workers. Watch it. Beware of the concision. Those who bring division and who do not hold to the word of God, but more to their tradition and let's, in this case, their religion. Because during the Roman Empire, you had one premier religion that was predominant of all of that area and had spun out of the very city of Rome and it was everywhere. And the Roman Empire was one of the largest Roman empires that the world has ever known. And there's still remnants of that last Roman Empire and that type of rule. Uh, our democracy is based on their senate, their laws, and what they did. So enough of that. But you kind of get what I'm saying. And he's warning saved people. He's warning missionaries that would go tell somebody else about the resurrected Christ. He's saying, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Uh, so if you think <clears throat> it's all fuzzy and warm and peachy out there in Christendom, and I'm, when I say that, when you walk outside the doors of your uh, Bible-believing church, you're going to be faced with every kind of Religion, concision, evil worker, <laughs> amen. I mean, the list is there. So he's warning them. Opposition to missions is always caused by evil. Don't ever underestimate that. Uh, Nehemiah, remember the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament? Uh, Jerusalem went into captivity and Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer and he wanted to, uh, he came in the presence of the king, which was a killing offense a death sentence 
and he was of a sad countenance. And as he squeezed the grapes into the king's cup, the king asked him, what's wrong? And his burden was for others, his people, the Jew. So in all that, he was able through uh, the license of the king to go back and begin to build the wall in Jerusalem. Ezra, the priest, came back to reestablish the religious order. Nehemiah came back to reestablish the wall and the city uh, of Zion, of Jerusalem. So in Nehemiah was opposed by, remember the two guys that opposed him? They were, they were religious. Uh, Sanballat and Tobias. <laughs> Say, Wow. So Nehemiah was opposed by Sanballat and Tobias along with the Arabs, Ammonites, Ashdodites surrounding Jerusalem and were a serious threat to the safety of its inhabitants. Look, there ain't a missionary that goes to a foreign pagan polyistic country preaching Jesus Christ uh, death, burial, and resurrection for salvation, winning others to Christ and teaching others and establishing churches that doesn't face this kind of opposition. I can speak from experience and firsthand. I have daughters on the mission field. One 20-something years, one 15, 16 years. And they've seen more religious evil than you could ever guess. Um, matter of fact, when you walk into those, especially I can speak of Mexico, you walk into that country, you, you become oppressed and you may not be able to put your finger exactly on what's wrong, but you know you're in for a bad day. I mean, you got eyes in the back of your head. You're looking to your left. You're looking to your right. You say, why? Somebody's either going to stick you, poke you, knock you down, or steal from you. I mean, all the above. Say, what is it? Evil. But boy, they're religious. They're all religious. Uh, and notice when I say that, I, I didn't say Christian, just religious. So here, Nehemiah was opposed by the inhabitants of the country that were there, uh, their plan of attack was threefold, these enemies of Nehemiah. They used ridicule, threats, and discouragement. And that's exactly what a missionary faces when they step into a third world country. And we talked about the culture shock they're in, like the smell, just the smell of a country who they don't have the laws and the rules and they don't have EPA. Somebody say amen right there. But anyway, uh, family and friends, not to mention, you talk about opposition, you just let it be known that you're going to go do something for Christ, whether it be a refuge mission somewhere, a former's program, or start a church someplace, or work in a soup kitchen, amen, where you might could give out a gospel tract just to be a blessing to somebody. Your family and friends, not to mention the brethren in the church, will often give their opposition to your willingness 
to be any kind of a missionary anywhere. Oh, I don't think you ought to do that. Well, you, don't, you don't want to go down on the street and preach. I've done that for years. And I've had good old-fashioned Christians sitting in the pew and look at me and say, you're crazy to go down on the street corner. Somebody's going to mug you. Did you carry a gun? I said, no, I carry a sword. <laughs> say, have you ever... I, the only time I ever got picked up and shoved in a car was by a state trooper. The only time anybody ever put their hands on me was at Fountain Square, and I was a young man, and it was a police officer that grabbed me by the lapels and jerked me into, up into his face and told me, quit preaching. You can't do that down here. And I had a piece of paper called a permit saying that, number one, I had a permit to be there for that hour blocked off along with these 45 other people that came from surrounding churches. But, you know, there's always opposition to the preaching of the Word of God, to the ministering to those that need to hear about Christ, and to the missionary that goes to a foreign field. And we're focusing mostly on missions. So family and friends, church brethren... They always offer up uh, opposition to your willingness to be partaker with missionaries, preachers, or full-time workers or evangelists, or just selling out for Christ. Oh, you don't want to sell out for God. I was 25 years old when I surrendered to preach. I was 12 when I got saved. And then 12 or 13 years later, God called me to preach. I was 25. I had a wife. I'd done been through the military four years. I had two children, and God called me to preach. Man. And I knew then, and I always wondered, what am I ever going to do with myself? I had a trade. I'd learned to trade, and it was a hard trade. Anytime you work with plaster, cement, sand, huh, scaffold, that's hard. <laughs> And work in the sun. <laughs> uh, but I've done that all my life and it's okay. But you know when God called me to preach, once I got over the shock of it, once I finally quit running and said, okay, Lord, whatever, then my mind was at ease. I was overwhelmed with the sense of grace that only God could give that I had done the right thing for him by stepping out and saying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And when I surrendered, I said, God, I'll go any place you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll be the preacher you're trying to call me to be. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Man, I was relieved. Whew. I felt good. As a 20-year-old, 25-year-old man, I walked that aisle that morning by myself. Now, I didn't know if my wife, was she was saved, going to be with me or not. I didn't tell her that morning because I hadn't planned it. But man, when the Holy Ghost of God gets on your trail, sometimes you just got to make a decision, especially when it glorifies God. I stepped out that morning, that morning at Mount Hope Baptist Church. Before they ever had a roof on it, we were meeting in the basement. I walked forward down that aisle, and I uh, was looking down, and I come to the front. The pastor met me, and uh, when I turned around, uh, 
to face the congregation. My wife was about three steps behind me. She was with me. She come up and held my hand and squeezed my hand and said, uh, Pastor Grigsby said, now why did you come this morning? I said, I come to surrender my life to full-time service for the Lord. I believe God's called me to preach. Scared to death. He looked at my wife and said, she said, I'm with him. <laughs> God didn't call me, but I'm just with him. <laughs> Wherever he's going, I'm going. I thought, man, it don't get no better than that. And as we stood there, an old man, Brother Tom, I don't know if you remember him, Tom Darty, he's an old man, stepped out and came down the aisle and walked down there and we waited on him. They sang another song and he come and stood next to me and put his arm around me. And Brother Grigsby, the pastor said, Brother Darty, he was a safe man. Why did you come forward? He says, well, and boy, everybody got quiet. And this old man, he was in his 70s, said, I came forward today because when I was a young man, when I was his age, God called me to preach and I never surrendered. And I just sat back there and uh, bounced through my life. He said, I'm not sitting back there anymore. I'm coming up here supporting this man and his wife. He said, I just want to stand with them today. They did the right thing. You know, I didn't think a lot about it right then. It was interesting. You know, as I now I'm a 74-year-old man. Now when I think back on it, what that had to take for that man to surrender that late and admit he never accepted the call of God on his life. He was saved. He was a Christian. And you know, to this day, every time I'd see Tom Darty. He'd hand me a $50 bill every time, whether it was once every week, whenever. And not only that, I'd get books in the mail every month from that preacher down in the South that wrote all those books, and I'm having a senior moment. No. That's a heretic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm sorry. I, time out. I got some of his books too, Stevie. But he sent me a box of books, Bible books and Bible studies to help me. Every month I'd get them and I got those for, I, was, I had duplicates. I finally had to tell him, Brother Tom, quit sending me them books, man. He said, well, I just send money down there and tell them to send them to you. You say, what was it? I don't know. But he knew I was going to face opposition. He knew people would be against me. He knew. And sure enough, I remember telling my dad, I surrendered to preach. My dad and I were estranged. And he said, well, son, if you're going to go preach, you be a good preacher. Oh, that, that was positive. And he was always for me in the ministry, although he never lived for God like possibly he could have. 
I never forget, I was preaching on a street corner, you know, just getting it in Hamilton, Ohio. I was preaching. I was about like I had my Bible, you know. And they always take a picture of you when your mouth is open about like a front-end loader on a tractor. <clears throat> your tongue is sticking out like you don't want any picture like that. You look like a fanatical fool. I guess preaching is foolishness. And who is there? The Hamilton Herald with their cameras and their reporter and their snapping pictures. Click, click. We're outside the courthouse preaching because it's a free space and they allowed you to preach. No problem. And I was preaching. That hit the front page of the Hamilton Herald newspaper. <clears throat> and my mom was sales executive for Sears and it hit her desk that morning. I got the phone call. <laughs> What, you know, what, what's this picture of you on the front page? What are you doing out there? I said, preaching, Mom. Well, we need to sit down and talk. That's what she said. <laughs> okay. So I showed up at her office, and uh, she said, well, she said, that, that was quite a surprise to me. I said, I said well, at least I wasn't in jail, Mom. <laughs> she said, don't become a fanatic. Man, I looked at I didn't even know what that word meant. I guess today as I look back, and by the way, my mother's still alive, and she introduced me uh, yesterday to one of the workers there at the nursing home where she's at. You know, she's got dementia, and she always introduces me as her son and, uh, and a preacher, always. So I knew what she was going to say. And the lady says, oh, no, I've never met this man. Who is this? She said, he's my boyfriend. Don't you love it? And it's okay. I says, Mom, she said, you know when I'm just playing with you. I said, yeah, yeah, I guess I do. But opposition can come from family. All family members wasn't kind toward me when I surrendered to preach. All family members. Some of the church people said, you'll never be a preacher. You can't even talk. I don't even know where they're at, but I know where I'm at today, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So here... Realizing the opposition, I think we can. Identifying the enemy, the first enemy, and I'll just give you a couple of them. I won't be too long here, and we'll use some scripture here in just a moment. But identifying the enemies of missions or full-time service or preaching or anything else is, number one, disobedience. Uh, any way you try to analyze the Great Commission of Matthew 28, it is still a command from Jesus Christ. It's commanded, we that are saved. It is amazing how we can call him our Lord and Savior and yet so easily choose to disobey his great commission. We can trust him to save our soul, amen, but will not obey his commandment of telling others. I know everybody is not called to the mission field. I got it. I understand everybody is not called to be a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, a teacher. I, I get it. But everybody is called to be some kind of a witness to somebody if they know the Lord Jesus Christ in a free part. If you're saved, you're supposed to tell others about Christ. I had a young man do some work in my home yesterday. <clears throat> 
is this Sunday, Saturday? I guess it was Friday, Friday. And he was from our area. Matter of fact, he was related to the Roberts. My wife was a Roberts, so somewhere down the line, we, our DNA matched. But he was 30 and I'm 74. So I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And about I wanted to witness to him. And he told me that he was religious and he went to this certain church and so on. So I said, great, okay, good. So I, I knew he was kind of backing away. He put me at arms like, that's fine. Well, I'd written a few books. Some of those books I give away here, Timothy, T Peter, different books I'd written. But every book contains at least one place and it has my salvation testimony on what I did to get saved and all the Bible verses that go with it, what a man does to become a Christian. And I asked him, do you like to read? He says, yeah, I like to read, man. I Probably comic books, Mad Magazine, I don't know. So I said, well, I wrote a couple of books. You did? You know, I was older, and so he was. And I handed him two or three of those books, and you take him home. He just went through a divorce. He's struggling. He said, I've been asking a lot of questions lately. You know what? That's being a witness any way you can. You can do that, but you will get opposition and you don't want it to be your disobedience, but disobedience is one of the biggest opposition. Enemy number two, selfishness. I'm a very generic speaker, you understand. Selfishness. First Timothy chapter three, verse one through seven says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. But some people say, well, I'm too busy working on my career to do anything for God. I'm too busy going to school. I'm chasing that next degree. Or I'm too involved in the hobbies that I have and I really love paragliding or whatever it is that you justify above God. Uh, well, my kids are all in the sports and it happens on Sunday, so I just take them out. You'd be far better off to bring your kids to church on Sunday and do sports on Monday. So here, enemies number two is selfishness. We're just plain good old-fashioned selfish. We think more of what we want to do than what God wants us. Oh, we want to be saved. We want to be born again. We want God to save us. We want to go to heaven when we die, but we don't want to serve God. Selfishness gets in the way of everybody that might have become a missionary, a preacher, an evangelist, or just a good old-fashioned plain witness. I just don't have time. Everybody has the same 24 hours. 1 John 2, verse 14 through verse 17. 1 John 2, 14 through 17. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Hallelujah. Verse 15. Love not the world. Can I submit unto you that most born-again Christians, most solid church people that know Christ, most of them are in love with the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If they don't love the world, there's something in the world that they like, they love, and they're magnetically drawn to that will keep you, it will cause you to be selfish when it comes to the things of God. If any man love the world, the love of the Father, be careful, is not in him. What do you love more? The Savior 
that saved your soul from hell or yourself that's trying to have a physical life down here and enjoy the American dream. Amen. Uh, Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Those three things there just about sum it up anytime and anywhere in the word of God. There were three pagan gods in the Old Testament, Moloch, Balaam, help me out. One more they weren't supposed to bow down to. And all of them line up with what is told to the child of God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Uh, Is not of the Father, the scripture says, but is of the world. Verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's a promise. People like promises in the word of God. When God promises something, they want it. But there's always a condition on the promise. And the condition here is simply believing it. Because if you'll believe it, you'll do it. But if you don't believe it, you probably won't do it. So enemy number three, well... I said enemy number two was uh, selfishness. And I know you thought I was going to list a bunch of uh, false religions that don't even preach Christ. Uh, I guess I could. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and many other cults have more zeal for air. And they do. They're out everywhere. They have more zeal for air than the saved person does for truth. That's a sad one. Enemy number three, false excuses. Remember that old song? I don't know the word. Excuses, excuses, name them everyone. And they go through the whole list of things. People have an excuse for not getting in, not getting to church. But excuses, it is, it's too dangerous to go to the mission field. Boy, that's a good excuse, isn't it? Yeah, now my kids live down in the country. Their kids are getting bigger now. Ashland's 19, Reagan's uh, 16, and Elliot's 12. And those girls are beautiful girls. But they're not Spanish descent. They're from Michigan and Indiana. And the problem down there with the crime and the drugs is they want to steal beautiful American children because they know they can get money for them from churches like ours. And people say it's too dangerous to be down in Mexico. I am glad now they have moved from the interior to the border, only to find out the border's just about worse than the interior because of all the traffickers that are coming across daily by the hundred thousands. And I'm not making that number up. Uh, so, but we have excuses. Oh, you can't go down there. It is too dangerous. I mean, there's uh, poison snakes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, and we will use excuses. Uh, times are too hard. You can't go down there now. You just can't make it. Uh, sin is too rampant in that country. I mean, anything goes. Now, I can't get the language. Well, we hear all the excuses in the world. My family will not approve. No, they probably won't. <laughs> But God will. So excuses can keep you from going to the mission field or in full-time service. And then 
Enemy number four, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really leaping out there. Ecumenicalism, that's a big old word. Ecumenicalism is, you know, everybody gets together religiously and there's no doctrine, no word, no word of God, no man of God. You know, everybody's kind of in a hodgepodge of gray. You know, hug, kiss, kumbaya, Chuck E. Cheese and all that stuff. Ecumenicalism, because it blurs the truth and does not teach doctrine, that'll keep you from full-time service. Blurs the lines of the spiritual battleground where we must stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, you'll make somebody mad. Somebody will get upset. You're preaching from the Bible. And that old one, especially that King James, man, get something new. What? <clears throat> Ecumenicalism is against old-fashioned preaching. Amen. Uh, enemy number five, Calvinism. That's a doctrinal thing that plagues a lot of churches. It's false doctrine. Just a certain few are getting saved. So why go to the mission field? Why surrender to preach? Just the elect are getting in. That's what they teach. That's not Bible. Uh, prove, proves, uh, proven by the... the Proven by actions rather than words. And James chapter 1 verse 22 and 23 says you put actions to your words. But a Calvinist, he is not going to visit. Uh, he'd be lucky if he prays for anything but himself. Say, what is that? It's false doctrine. So I guess what I'm saying is I just picked one of them. False doctrine will keep you from going to the mission field. It will keep you from being a full-time worker, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist. Uh, and we could go on and on, but that verse in James 1, says, and verse 23, but, but be ye doers of the word, there we go, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. People can hear, 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 <laughs> in one ear and out the other, and never do a thing about it. That's because of excuse number one, disobedient, or excuse number two, uh, selfish. Yeah, I hear the truth. I got the truth there. But wow, we're in the 21st century. We're not in the first century. I get it. But God's commission has never changed. His command has never changed. So here he says, be you doers of the word, not hearers of the word, but doers. He is like to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And that's just about the whole summation of it. Look in the mirror. We don't really see what's really there. When I look in the mirror, I see what's there. An old, wrinkled up, Man. But we're still to preach. Lastly, let me say this, and I took my text from Ephesians 6. Remember when we went to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm just about out of time where it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay, that's enemy number six is satanic opposition. That's uh, the rule everywhere. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, um, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's always going to be opposed to you preaching, you teaching, or you going to the mission field. Last, we'll close with this. Has anybody here ever taken a missionary trip to a foreign field? Raise your hand. I know Pastor Tom has. Some of you folks have. Good. I've been many times. As a pastor, as a preacher, teacher, and evangelist, I always suggest to American people 
if you've got a vacation and you want to take part of it, take about two or three days of that and go, go see a missionary somewhere. You'll be blessed. It will change how you feel and think about things. Uh, God will bless you for it. Uh, Victory Baptist Press in Milton, Florida, always scheduled. It used to. I don't think they do anymore. They had a big Greyhound bus, and you could ride that bus, and they'd take you to the churches uh, along the Mexican border and go down there and help them. We took work teams and put together teams and went into the country and done certain things, this and that. We've taken supplies and uh, coffers of loads of material to the Indian reservations in different places, all kinds of things that you can get involved in if you want to be mission-minded. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to teach your word. Uh, thank you for the challenge of the word of God. And Lord, I ask God now that you would bless the preaching and bless the singing of the special music. And especially my son as he brings the message of Pastor Jeremiah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you and good morning. <laughs>